For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-man Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Warsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner, Will Lomas. If you like what you're listening to today or ever on the No Nonsense podcast, be sure to follow or subscribe to the show on whatever platform you use to listen. That will give you easier and faster access to all of our new episodes because quite often they will come out on your platform before we announce them on social media. If you want to follow us on social media, you can do that at No Nonsense Pod. We usually end the show with Stop the Nonsense, and we will end, end this show with Stop the Nonsense, the segment where we call out nonsense both within and without the sports world. But guys, it is it is time to start this episode with some nonsense, because two two weeks ago we said, or I guess it was a week ago, we said we would take a couple of weeks off. You know, long season. Uh, we we put a lot of work into this podcast. Take a couple weeks off. Come back after the Super Bowl. Talk about everything. Well, then the Titans made their coordinator hire. So we said, well, we got to come back and we got to talk about that. Uh, the offensive coordinator, pretty good. I like the hire. Smart move. We'll get to that in a bit. Let's start with the elephant in the room, guys. Mike Vrabel promotes outside linebackers coach Shane Bowen to defensive coordinator, a title he sort of, kind of, not really, but also sort of did hold last year. What do we think? Really? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. If, if anyone came to this podcast hoping that we would maybe <laughs> – have a positive spin on this you came to the wrong place because we all hate exactly what happened uh i'm not going to speak for for either of you but me personally i think this is one of the worst decisions i've ever seen since i became a titans fan it makes no logical sense there's no merit uh like this is not merit based this is not logic based this is purely a decision based on I don't know friendliness. Like they're just, they just have to be friends. There's no other explanation for it because if you look at what Shane Bowen's defense did last year, like he he should have been fired. He should have been fired midseason. Uh, and add to all this that the Titans didn't make any changes to their defensive coaching staff. No one got fired. No one had to look. I I, I don't like to to call for people's heads and for their jobs, but how do you not fire anyone? After that absolute debacle of a defensive season, it is shocking to me. 
Uh, and I'm going to let Will uh, have at it because I can feel my rage building and I'm probably going to, I just have to stop. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's super tough, super tough. There's no way to justify it. It's, it's nepotism. It's, you know, it's hiring your friends and all that stuff. It's very frustrating. Um, so I, I've done plenty of research on this at this point. The five teams in the bottom five of DVOA, the Titans were 29th. They're the only one that brought back their defensive play caller. Uh, last year, and before, you know, anybody uses the defense of them not having enough talent. We, even though we've said it a bunch, I wanted to quantify how, how many, like, how many returning starters they had and all that. So Dean Pease had seven of 11 of these same starters last year when the Titans ranked 16th in DVOA. Um, you know, we, we've talked about, I think they had three times as many or nearly three times as many sacks last year as they did this year. But I, I wrote something today where I called, uh, I said that, Shane Bowen finds a way to dig down deep and pull out the worst seasons of a guy's career when he coaches him. And I, I mean, I stand by that. It's just, he's just a, it doesn't matter how much talent you give him. He's going to find a way to waste it or put those people in the wrong positions. So, I mean, it is, it is truly demoralizing. Like I, I wish I could tell you, you know, that it, it gets better or that there's a reason for optimism but there's not. Uh, we saw 16 games. It's different than Arthur Smith where he was taking a leap of faith on somebody who said, I'm going to do A, B, and C, and it's going to make us successful. Because he did that with Shane Bowen last year, was so scared of what he told him that he didn't even name him defensive coordinator, got peer pressured into naming him defensive coordinator now, and not, not only – and maybe this is just a poor timing thing, but – Mike Vrabel named him because Mike Vrabel is the one who makes the coaching decisions. That's the way it's always been. He named him the coach when John Robinson was out of town. And I'm not saying that John Robinson wasn't consulted, but I am saying it is the one week a year where they're not in the same spot. And it was on a Friday because they knew how poorly it was going to be received. I, I mean, this team knows they're making the wrong decision and you know, they've got their tail between their legs and they've got their head down and they, they don't want to look anybody in the eye, but I mean, it's terrible. It's bad optics. It's basically Mike Vrabel saying, I'm going to hire my guy, whether you like it or not. And I mean, it's bad for the team. This is Mike Vrabel actively making decisions to hurt the Titans. Yeah. So a couple things for me, basically along the same lines of what you all were saying. First of all, I think that I understand why it would have been difficult for Mike Vrabel to fire Shane Bowen, because like you said, they have a relationship. Uh, he's been the outside linebackers coach. But Rabel didn't have to do that because uh, Shane Bowen was not the defensive coordinator. And I wrote uh, this when it happened that Rabel simply could have gone and hired a defensive coordinator and then Shane Bowen could have you know just resumed his duties as the outside linebackers coach. And no hard feelings, everything probably would have been okay. Instead, and there, this is an important distinction, Vrabel did not just retain Shane Bowen. Vrabel gave Shane Bowen the title he was not willing to give him last offseason. Vrabel promoted Shane Bowen, meaning... 
that in Vrabel's mind, his stock has gone up. In making this move, all you Titans fans who listen to this podcast, Mike Vrabel, your team's head coach, looked you in the eyes and said two things. Number one, he said, last year wasn't that bad. Now, I think that is the, of the two things I'm going to say, I think that is what he was saying less, but that's what he told you. Well, it wasn't that bad. You know, I think we all wondered whether the things Vrabel was saying in the press conferences throughout the year, you know, got to coach better, got to play better, we'll get it figured out, all that kind of stuff, whether that was an actual reflection of how he really operated and thought. And one thing that I wrote a couple of weeks ago on for A to Z Sports is that, okay, over the next few weeks, Vrabel's going to give us an answer about how he felt about that defense. You know, he's going to have to. And it's, it's not going to be in a press conference. It's going to be with this hire. Well, he gave you the answer. Vrabel thought it wasn't that bad. Second thing Vrabel said to you, not my problem. Vrabel, as Paul Koharski wrote for his site, pinned those problems from last year on John Robinson. He basically told you, Titans fans, and us, members of the media, wasn't my problem. Wasn't Shane's problem. It's a player's problem. The guy who routinely says, when things aren't going well, it is not because of the players, it is because of the coaches. I don't think he believes that. Or at least with the defense, he doesn't believe that. Another thing. In the press release that the Titans put out announcing this hire, they, they quoted Vrabel as saying he is confident, something along, I'm paraphrasing here, he's confident that the defense and Bowen will improve heading into 2021. I'm not really sure why he thinks that. Well, I, actually, I know exactly why he thinks that. I take that back. Because Vrabel is the eternal optimist. Vrabel does not see things as reality. He sees things as an ideal future that works out in the best possible way for him and his team. That is his fundamental flaw as a head coach. We found that out in 2019 when he sent old Cairo Santos out for the fourth time to kick from 53 yards after having already missed three field goals and then comes out in the post-game press conference and says he was confident that he would get it fixed. That's not how things work, Mike Vrabel. This, Mike Vrabel, is not how things work. Because, you see, your boy Shane Bowen and that defense that you think was mostly the player's problem, they had 17 weeks to get it fixed. 17 weeks. That's over four months. And it never got close to getting fixed. It never even got better. The only silver linings of the entire season was when your defense played noodle arm Nick Foles and the combo of Mike Glennon slash Gardner Minshew. Well, if you want to take that and say, hey, that was some signs of promise, well, congratulations. You stopped some sucky quarterbacks. Got some really great stuff going there. Look, they had 17 weeks to improve, never got close to improving, Never even showed signs of like, oh, maybe it's turning around. Because if you remember, back when we thought Arthur Smith didn't know what in the world he was doing as the offensive coordinator, 
Before the switch clicked, you started to see signs of the switch about to click. Once Tannehill came in and they started getting in a groove, still wasn't great, but you sat there and said, I, I think they're on the verge of something. That never came at any point in this season. They were never on the verge of anything. But yeah, Mike Vrabel is convinced that given this magical offseason, and I, I went on the, the Tighten Up podcast last week and talked about this, we overrate the offseason in the NFL. The offseason is not magic. It does not fix people instantly. But Mike Vrabel's convinced that it's going to instantly fix Shane Bowen and his defense. Uh, this is a terrible move. And even if it works out, it's like you were saying, well, you know, there's some, or, or Matias, you said this, you know, some people might look for the answer of, hey, well, let's give him a chance. You never know. Okay, sure. You never know. Maybe it works out. It is still an objectively bad decision to promote someone who did their job at a less than passing level. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what else I can add to that. You you pretty much hit the nail on the head, and I don't know where to go from there. I don't know how to feel. I don't know what else to say other than just I hate this decision, and I think pretty much every Titans fan does also. And, yeah, we could be optimistic and say it'll get better. Yeah, it will get better because the only way to go from rock bottom is yeah. up. And. But the only way I see this defense returning to at least league average is if the personnel decisions over the offseason are just perfect and they just nail it. Christian Fulton becomes, you know, the second, third cornerback that that we projected him to be coming out of the draft. We get some edge rushers. Uh, Rashawn Evans and Kevin Byard get back to, you know, their old ways. But I don't know how we could sit here and tell you that that's probably going to happen because we have no evidence given this coaching staff's results uh to assume that that the defense will return to that so i, I don't know i it this has me actually like i was excited for most of this season even though the defense was so bad i was really excited about the direction of the team but this hire and we're going to talk about the oc hire also but these two hires have gotten me kind of mad and just really like pessimistic about the future well you you said you had some some stats and quotes to talk about why don't you bring those to us yeah so the one stat i think i sent this to y'all like earlier in the month or something this was before we knew that shane bowen obviously was going to be uh the dc but i said the titans never got better from month to month in points per game uh, in September, they averaged 24.6 points per game. October, 26.3. November, 26.4. December, 29 points. January, 29 points per game. I mean, how bad do you have to be at your job to constantly get worse every week, week after week after week? I, I, I just don't understand. Like, this idea that... And this... Oh, this narrative is just going to get pushed out by Mike Keith and Amy Wells and everybody who's getting paid by the Titans because it's something that nobody will check and people will just eventually believe to be true. And that's that the lack of an offseason program is the problem. That's not it. Like the, the offseason program was fine for 31 other teams there. They didn't have a massive change in defensive personnel. They did. They should not have had a massive scheme switch because Bowen was in the building the entire time that Pease was here. He shouldn't have had to acclimate to new talent because he should have known the guys. 
but he progressively got worse and worse and worse. And, and I mean, that was while he was en route to the worst third down performance uh, in NFL history. So that's aggravating to say the least. Um, the quote I wanted to talk about is something that I wrote as soon as this whole thing got announced. As I said, in Mike Rabel's introductory press conference, he was quoted as saying, somebody's got to stand up. It's what you do. Here's what you do. Here's my job. Uh, somebody's got to accept responsibility, give credit, and be decisive. And he's none of those things. He doesn't accept responsibility. He says, you know, it's my job. But that's not accepting responsibility. Accepting responsibility is admitting that there's a problem and changing the problem. And I think with that, Will, it's important that we make this distinction. I, I am not, I mean, I don't, I don't really care anyway, but, but I'm not mad at, or, and, and you should not be mad at Shane Bowen for having this job. Shane Bowen was not good last year, and you can be mad at him for his performance, but, like, he, he got offered a, a job of a promotion. He's going to take it. So we should not, and, and we haven't been, but you listening should not throw stones at Shane Bowen for, like, have, being in this position that he's in. It's rather unfortunate. I mean, I, I imagine that it, it has to be a little uneasy for him seeing all of this press that he's getting if, if he pays any attention to it. This is all variable. So we can separate. Bowen is not a good defensive coordinator, but this decision and this promotion is all on Mike Vrabel's shoulders. Yeah. I mean, and we saw the quote about that from, I think it was John Glennon's mailbag like two weeks ago. That, I mean, was was basically pretty cut and dry, where it's like, you're not going to hear any names leaked out. The only person who's going to know who the Titans are going to hire to be offensive and defensive coordinator is Mike Vrabel. Like, I mean, it, it's it's just in every meeting and every hiring and every interview process, it's clear that Mike Vrabel is the guy who's making the call here. So, I mean, I, I'll go ahead and give our uh, metaphor or whatever that we've said in the group chat and stuff. And it's, you don't get mad, and, and maybe we've said it on here before, but you don't get mad when a toddler drives the car and hits the wall. You get mad at the parent who let that happen. And Mike Frabel is the parent, and Shane Bowen is the child driving. It's it's not his fault that he's been given power that he's clearly not ready for. The problem is that the parent let the kid wreck, you know, a good car, like a you know. It wasn't a sports car, but it was a good car. And then you just picked him up and put him in the driver's seat of the other car. Like, I mean, it's it, it's very aggravating. Does that not bother anyone that Vrabel is the one that gets liberty to make all these decisions? I understand most head coaches build their coaching staffs, but I feel like the GM should have a decent amount of input in terms of some of these hires, especially if he can see that it's the wrong hire. Like, I personally feel like John Robinson should have stepped in and been like, no, like, do not do this because this will not work. And maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this doesn't work in the NFL like this and GMs don't get that much say in terms of how coaches build their their staff. But this is just it it makes no sense to me uh, that he would allow this to happen. And I'm sure we're going to have the John Robinson discussion uh, at some point on this pod or maybe the next one, but I just I find 
that to be to be a very flawed uh, way of thinking. I mean, in my mind, you know, John Robinson's job is to build a roster, is to give Vrabel a roster that will allow him to succeed. And Vrabel's job is to coach and and bring in coaches that are going to make John Robinson's players better. And, you know, at this point, Vrabel doesn't seem to be holding up his end of that bargain. I don't know that – I think John Robinson can can certainly talk to Mike Vrabel and try to talk him out of things. But at the end of the day, like, Mike Vrabel's the head coach of this football team, and and the coaching staff is really up to him. And – I mean, you, I guess you can be upset with John Robinson for, like, not vetoing this, if he even has a veto power. I'm not really sure how that dynamic works. But this is a Mike Vrabel decision. If you don't let Mike Vrabel make this decision and hire a defensive coordinator, fire him. He doesn't do anything any Like, I, I, that sounds too harsh. Well, well they, I mean, we have to – he, they were eleven. They won eleven, yeah, they won 11 games. They, yeah, that I, that is. I'm not taking that away from him. What I'm saying is, if you're if you restrict him to that point and you say, well, we're going to make the hires for you, then what's what's his value to the team? Because he doesn't call plays on defense. He's made that abundantly clear after Shane Bowen failed. Is that Shane Bowen was the DC? He just didn't have the title. He he was quick to distance himself from that. He doesn't call plays on offense. He doesn't draft people. If he's not hiring coaches and being influential there, what's his what? Why not just fire him and promote Arthur Smith? At least you know he can do something of value. I just think I hate myself for not hating this idea. <laughs> well, it's that. That's the thing is his Mike Frabel's value to the Titans is. He's supposed to be a professional at building a roster of coaches. It's Robinson's job to build a roster full of talent that those coaches can, you know, amplify and make look better and put in the right positions. And that's great when it works. When you get LaFleur going to be a head coach, cool. Arthur Smith, great offense, even better through transition. Awesome. He gets a head coaching job. You know, we'll talk about Downing in a minute if we talk about him, but then you look at defense, and it's like, okay, Dean Pease is gone. He was your mentor. He did great. I can see why you let him go. The defense kind of dipped a little bit. So your next hire is Shane Bowen. Okay, that was a massive misstep. Now's the time where you see that as, you know, remember your job is this. You know, you, this is your one special quality is you can build a roster full of coaches. And then you double down on it, and it's like, well, like, if you take that away from him, he doesn't do anything else. Like it's just, he, you know, if he's helping in defensive scheme meetings, that's bad. That's not a feather in his cap. They look like <laughs> yeah. garbage. I mean, it's, you know, he wasn't teaching Dean Pease anything Dean Pease didn't already know. He's just regurgitating the stuff that Dean Pease taught to him. So if he can't add the expertise in hiring coaches, he has no value. Like culture is great. Winning is even better. Like, I'm glad that he's doing both. But if we've reached a point where he's run out of people in his Rolodex to call and do his job for him, then we're in a tough spot. Well, we've had this conversation a lot. I mean, I remember I was just thinking back. We had Joe Rex wrote on the show, and we asked him, you know, what does Mike Vrabel bring the Titans? We've had this conversation a lot. I, I mean, I don't think you can fire – a coach that won 11 games for an unknown commodity in Arthur Smith. I mean, we know he's a good offensive play caller, but as we've seen over and over and over and over and over, 
and over and over again in the NFL, that doesn't necessarily mean you be a good head coach. So you take the known commodity over the unknown commodity any day. So I think that, I mean, it, it sounds fun and like kind of like a maddeny way, but like I, I think that's a silly idea still. However, I do think it is more than fair to question Mike Vrabel's value at this point because we talk so much about it being leader of men and culture and all that, and a culture's there, certainly, and I do think he's a great leader, but how many times do we see this team come out into a game just totally flat and looking like they don't even want it? And I'm not questioning whether they want it because I know they do, but, you know, just coming out totally flat and, like, I feel like that just doesn't really happen around the NFL where it's just like a team that a week ago, and I know it's any given Sunday, but like the the good teams in the NFL, even when they lose, they don't lose because for the entire game it looked like they didn't know what in the world they were doing. And, and we see that. I mean, I, I tweeted this uh, after the Browns loss where they got behind by so many points in the first half. And a lot of people shared it and liked it because I think everybody agrees with this, that uh, save the Baltimore playoff game where I think they just got outplayed, most of the time when the Titans have lost under Vrabel, you don't come out of it saying, man, that other team really played well. That was a tough game for the Titans. It's always like, what were they doing? What happened? You know? Yeah, I'm sitting here thinking of, what Vrabel's best qualities are. Uh, I know we talked about the culture, leader of men thing. I'm kind of sick of that. I'm sick of those those terms, to be honest with you. And I don't know how much weight they actually hold. Uh, I'll say he knows the rules very well. He's a very good rules expert in terms of knowing um, where he can get a specific advantage in a certain situation. Um but I can't even say that his in-game decision-making is one of his qualities because he makes so many dumb decisions that, that we've, we've talked about it so many times. And it really does lead you to wonder what his actual positives are and whether he's actually you know, espousing them on the team. Like Even some of these new hires that, that were made this offseason, I don't know if they're going to work out well, but at least— Saleh and Brandon Staley, they're really good defensive coordinators, probably to top five in the league last year. So at least they're bringing that with them to their new jobs. Arthur Smith is bringing a top five offensive mind to the job. And it's just like we're kind of falling behind in, in terms of what our head coach is actually bringing to the table. No, I wouldn't fire him yet. But if this season goes like I'm a little worried it will, like I, I wouldn't be surprised if we go seven and nine, eight and eight unless John Robinson absolutely knocks it out of the park uh, in the draft and free agency. If we have that type of season, Vrabel is gone. Like, I don't I don't see him surviving that, especially when one year ago we were in the AFC Championship and we should have been back this year because we had the same exact roster and the offense was even better than it was the year before. And the defense was better on paper, like the players. I, I I stand by the fact that if you trade, if you offer somebody a trade and they have Jadavian Clowney, Jeffrey Simmons, Christian Fulton, and Jonathan Joseph, that they, that, sorry, let me, let me phrase this differently. Those four guys are better than Kamale Correa, Vegan Jarrell Casey, 
uh, <laughs> Logan Ryan and Owen oh, Adoree. Like, I think those guys, if you look, if you ignore what Jadavian Clowney did this year when he had to be put with Shane Bowen, I think those players are all better. Uh, uh, not all better, but I think collectively are more talented than what they lost. Like, I think, I mean, it's just very frustrating. Is there anything else we want to say on the Bowen front? I feel like if we go much further, it'll we'll just be reaching preaching to the choir territory because this is well, one of those and, this is one of those rare topics where we're just kind of totally in agreement. Yeah, and let me say this: I'm not advocating for firing Mike Frabel right now. That's yeah, not, I don't think anyone I, is yeah, or should I, be. I don't think the argument is right now. Vrabel's done anything that deserves to be that's fire worthy. That, that's not. I don't think that's it. What I think we need to think about is if this doesn't work and he doesn't show a willingness to change, what's different between him and Mike Malarkey when the Titans fired him, except for the fact that John Robinson's continued to do a good job and added more talent and made it harder to fail. And I think that's a fair question. I do. And so to, to sort of close out this conversation, the reaction that, again, you Titans fan listening to this should have is not, you know, bring out the pitchforks and torches, let's fire Mike Vrabel. That's irrational. Like like we said, the Titans won 11 games last year. But it is certainly fair to start having this conversation that we've been having for the last few minutes, and that, so what is Mike Vrabel's value if this doesn't pan out like we all expect it not to? Matthias, would you like a, a last word on this? No, I'm kind of sick of talking about it. I feel like we've been talking about it all season, and like it has reached uh, a breaking point. And yeah. I feel like we're just gonna have to do it all over again next season, which yeah. which is really annoying. Well, so let's do this. Let's take a thirty second break. When we come back from the thirty second break, we're gonna talk about the much more promising of the two coordinator hires, new Titans offensive coordinator Todd Downing. We will get into. Why, at least I, I don't know about you two, I think it was a pretty smart hire. Uh, we'll get into that in 30 seconds. We are back to talk about, as I teased a moment ago, the more promising of the two coordinator hires, new Titans offensive coordinator Todd Downing. He's been the Titans tight, tight ends coach. That's, that's a tongue twister, Titans tight ends. He's been the Titans tight ends coach since 2019, spent two years in that role, and now will be calling the shots for the offense on game day. Uh, I, I've already written why I thought it was a smart move. Will, I imagine you've done the same. Uh, I will, as we did with Bowen, pass it along to you two first. What are your thoughts on Todd Downing being the new man in charge of the Titans offense? You know, on the surface, it's not very exciting. And the same way the Arthur Smith one wasn't exciting. So we, I, I feel like there's a little bit of unknown in terms of what we're actually going to get. The only other time he has been an offensive coordinator, coordinator, which is actually good that he has that experience uh, and we're not just starting up completely anew again uh, for the second uh, offensive coordinator in a row, uh, was with the Raiders in 2017. Uh, the numbers aren't great. They were 23rd in points for uh, and 17th in in yards, but that was Jack Del Rio's last year, and, and it was kind of all coming to a head. They really just weren't that great of a team, although they did beat the Titans that season in uh, in week one. I was actually at that game, 
the even though the offensive numbers aren't great, I I, I remember that team being pretty solid on offense. Uh, they had Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree uh, for Derek Carr to throw to. They had a really good offensive line. Uh, Derek Carr was afforded a really good amount of time. Uh, I think that was that Marshawn Lynch's year. Yeah, Marshawn Lynch was there. So that was kind of a decent offense from what I remember. But the the numbers don't show it. From what I remember, uh, they did run a good amount of play action. So I'm interested to see if he will keep uh, a lot of Arthur Smith's concepts or if he tries to go for something more uh, like the Raiders of 2017. But, you know. I'm not too mad about this one. I, I did want to see them go out maybe into the college ranks or maybe an up-and-coming NFL coordinator or position coach um, and kind of expand the tree. Uh, but I do understand why they hired from, from within. And if Arthur Smith uh, got some of his ideas across the downing and a lot of these offensive meetings, then I think the Titans will be in good shape. Uh, and I think they will because – like we've always talked about, they're going to have continuity. Uh, Derrick Henry's still there. Ryan Tannehill's still there. The offensive line uh, is going to be good again. Luan will be back and healthy. Uh, we'll see if Corey Davis is back, but if not, they'll probably upgrade at that receiver spot and they still have A.J. Brown. So they're still in good shape on that side of the ball. I wouldn't be too worried. Yeah, like I think Keith Carter was, was a guy that a lot of people talked about just because – he raised the production of so many players that he coached and you know it wasn't like Keith Carter didn't have any bumps and bruises like we we were very aggressive on uh, me especially probably me mainly was very aggressive on him in 2019 because he just didn't look like he was doing what he was supposed to do but now it looks like okay maybe some of that was on Mariota and Tannehill not getting the ball out quick enough and Maybe some of that was on Arthur Smith as a play caller, not understanding exactly what he was supposed to do. Like, couldn't really understand the rhythm of the game, which he obviously fixed. And, you know, they went through the moon. But I think Downing is good. I mean, probably B plus. Like, if it was going to be somebody from outside, I wanted it to be somebody who specialized in either developing quarterbacks or who had a very clear identity of, okay, this is what I do. This is why it always works. This is what I need to succeed. Like somebody who had a blueprint for success that was, you know, almost unfair to expect in an offensive coordinator. And I think uh, Dennis Kelly's brother, Tim Kelly, like I think he would have been somebody that had that because he did it with Deshaun Watson. Obviously having Deshaun Watson's great, but he did it with DeAndre Hopkins. He did it without DeAndre Hopkins. He did it with Will Fuller. He did it without Will Fuller. He did it with Brandon Cooks. He did it when nobody was healthy. Like they were constantly finding ways to manufacture offense. And that was cool. Like I think Anthony Lynn was interesting just because I think he did a lot with two very different quarterbacks. And even with Rod Taylor, when uh, he was starting for the chargers and I think Pep Hamilton had some strengths too. So I think there were a lot of guys in the mix from outside that would have made sense, but uh, Downing is fine. Like Downing is a tight ends coach. He knows a little bit about offensive line, a little bit about wide receivers. That's kind of the world you have to live in as a tight ends coach. He knows how to coach quarterbacks. That's what he did in Oakland before he took the OC job. Like he's got enough qualities where I, I'm not upset that he's the offensive coordinator. And Probably on paper, if you don't know the Titans' offensive line problems that they struggled with this year, he's got a better case than anybody. I mean, you look at 
Johnu Smith's evolution. You look at Anthony Ferkser. You look at how they picked up Swaim off the street. You look at, I don't know how much of Blasting Games credit you can give to Downing, but he does some of that flex H-back role. And you look at Michael Pruitt. And, you know, those are guys who, if they go to 28 other teams in the NFL, they're not as productive or as useful as they are as the Titans got them. So I, I like Downing. It, and it definitely makes it easier to stomach Downing when you look at what they did on the defensive side of the ball. But this this move makes logical sense. This is what I said last week on Tighten Up Podcast and what I wrote earlier today about this hire. And it is that a lot of times in the NFL, everyone's looking for like the next offensive guru, the genius, like the Sean McVay or the, the Kyle Shanahan or someone like that, Sean Payton. But they just don't come around that often. They're very rare And so instead of shooting for the stars and trying to find that person and often ended up falling on your face, why don't you get someone, NFL teams, who who A, won't be a disaster, who is competent, and B, is going to do the best they can to exploit your personnel, or maybe exploit's the wrong word, to get the most out of your personnel, to take your personnel's strengths and, and maximize them and magnify them as much as possible. I think that is ultimately what the job of an offensive coordinator is. Not to be tricky necessarily, not to, you know, you don't have to be Andy Reid or, or those other guys I mentioned. Just get the most out of your personnel and score points. That's what Arthur Smith was so good at. He, he, I mean, he tried the cute stuff every now and then, but for the most part, he, he didn't get in Tannehill's way. He didn't get in Henry's way. He knew what they did well. He played to those strengths, and the Titans scored a lot of points and won a lot of games because of that. Now, Todd Downing may suck as an offensive coordinator. We don't know. But one thing he does have going for him already is that he has a deep and intimate knowledge of this Titans personnel. Specifically, he knows what Ryan Tannehill is and is not comfortable with. He knows why Derrick Henry has been able to have so much success over the last two or three years. He knows what A.J. Brown does and doesn't do well. He knows what his tight ends do and don't do well. He knows the strengths of the offensive line. Todd Downing knows this roster very well, and so because of that, more so than the continuity stuff of terminology and, you know, Tannehill won't have to learn a new offense, more than that, he is in a great position to maximize the ability of his offensive personnel because he already knows them. And I think that 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 is an underrated component of an in-house hire, particularly the offensive coordinator. Though it wasn't necessarily good experience, as you both have mentioned, he does have experience as an offensive coordinator. He's called plays before. So this won't be like Arthur Smith and Matt LaFleur where they're just kind of figuring it out on the job and, and there's this sort of you know thing where we sit around and go, well, is this just they're not very good or they just don't understand it yet? And so that period probably won't have to happen. So I, I think you nailed it, Matthias, when you said like this isn't a sexy hire by any stretch of the imagination. I just think it's a, a smart hire. It makes sense. They did their due diligence on guys outside the organization. Uh, Vrabel talked to the Clemson guy. Uh, there was a Pep Hamilton interview. They clearly just didn't really like what those other guys were going to, or what, what Pep Hamilton, and I think there was a Chad Kelly. That was another person they wanted to talk to. Uh, they did interview Pep Hamilton. Clearly, I guess, didn't like what he was going to bring, and I don't think really anyone did because he, he 
ended up as a quarterback coach instead of a coordinator. So all that to say, not a sexy move by any stretch of the imagination, but I think it's a pretty smart one. Yeah, you said you said Chad Kelly. You mean Tim Kelly? Chad Kelly. Tim Kelly. Crazy. Yeah, yeah Tim, he's the crazy Tim quarterback. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, <laughs> Chad Kelly's the one where when I read the uh, Nolan Naraki draft guide entry on him, it read like a true crime novel. Yeah, that's that's him. Swag Kelly. Um, so the one thing I'll say just to kind of wrap this up is, and this is something that may only interest me, but uh, if you're looking at somebody who can salvage uh, Isaiah Wilson's career, this may be the one person who's most suited for it. Because when he became the offensive coordinator, well, first of all, when he was in his second year as the quarterback's coach in the year where Der- I think Derek Carr either made a Pro Bowl or was close to it or s- something to that effect, Kalecho Assembly was the guard on that team. And then the next season when he was offensive coordinator, he was the guard and they had one of their better performances as an offensive line, even though it doesn't necessarily bear out the stats. But he's seen somebody who's, not super athletic and has a very similar body type to Isaiah Wilson succeed by kicking inside. And I've said since he was drafted that Kaleche Assembly should be y- your dream outcome for Isaiah Wilson. Isaiah Wilson, by the time you're listening to this podcast could not be on the Titans. I have no idea, but I'm um, for those few out there who are still holding on to a strand of hope saying maybe they can salvage something this is the one person who I can see having an actual open mind and saying, you know, we had a guy that looked a lot like you move inside and do very well for us. So that's just one small thing to keep in mind one, two day, two years down the line. That's impressive that you got a Isaiah Wilson mention in this, in this episode. And, and even uh, yeah. sort of a positive one. So like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not, not, not Isaiah Wilson. Players. As of today, it is, it is PZ. Big PZ. Man. I'm a, Twitter, so I, I already got upset earlier in this podcast. Please don't blame Isaiah Wilson. And his tweets to get me even more up. Let's move on to a topic that uh, the Titans don't actually have to worry about, which is the quarterback position. Uh, as, as we sort of wrap up this episode, I want to have a discussion on this topic because I think it's really interesting. I, I feel like... So really, I'm just going to state a premise and then see if you guys agree with it, and then we can dive in, perhaps, if you do agree at why this may happen. I feel like there's a tendency, and I don't remember it necessarily over past years, but I feel like it probably does happen. But certainly this offseason already, and we're not technically even in the offseason yet because the Super Bowl has not happened yet. I feel like there is a tendency to overrate quarterbacks over the offseason. Uh because a lot of teams need quarterbacks and there's always a lot of shuffling around that happens. And I don't know if it's uh, like just people forget what the quarterback actually has done in their career. I don't know if this is, you know, agents talking into the ears of, of reporters. I don't really know what it is, but the three examples I have from this off season are Deshaun Watson, Matthew Stafford, and Kirk Cousins. All three of those players have recently been overrated by not just the media, but also a lot of fans, too. I'll start with Stafford. I think the best description I've seen of Stafford came, of all people, from Barry McCockner, who, while not being satirical, tweeted, Stafford will never be as bad as his critics say he is and will never be as good as his fans think he is. 
I think that's a great way to put it with Matthew Stafford. I think Matthew Stafford's a fine quarterback, pretty good one. He's a good quarterback. But, uh, and I think the trade that the Rams for him made a lot of sense. But there has been this weird tendency to make him out to be more than he has. Yes, he's played for a rotten franchise in the Detroit Lions. uh, But he also hasn't done very much. And so I think we need to put that in perspective. I think Deshaun Watson is a good quarterback, better than Stafford. I think he's probably a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. I don't think anyone would debate that. However, there has recently, since he's been in the news so much, every time Deshaun Watson is mentioned, it is as if, like, you know, in the Lord's Prayer, you say, uh, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's like whenever you mention Deshaun Watson, you're required to say, Deshaun Watson, our holy quarterback, hallowed be thy name. Like, this dude is getting pumped up to an insane degree lately. And we've talked a lot about Watson on here, Will in particular. Uh, I like Watson. Like I said, I think he's a good quarterback, but I think he's problematic for a lot of reasons. I don't think he's terribly accurate in the intermediate area of the field. If you watch him play, a lot of times he just kind of throws ropes at his receivers that they have to fall down to catch. Now, he's very athletic, and he makes things happen. He's going to win you a lot of football games, but let's not act like he's some kind of savior. Uh, Let's calm down a little bit on that. And then finally, the weird one to me is Kirk Cousins. There's been a lot of steam over the last few days about should the San Francisco 49ers trade for Kirk Cousins. I don't know how big of an upgrade Kirk Cousins is from Jimmy Garoppolo. And here's the thing, too. A lot of these people saying that this trade should be made are the same ones who just a couple months ago were berating the Vikings for having ever signed Kirk Cousins and were complaining that Kirk Cousins is capped in inconsistency, which he is. Uh, He still is. I just remember that he's Captain Inconsistency. A lot of you people seem to have forgotten that. So I'll stop talking. Do you guys agree with me that this phenomenon is going on? And if so, why is it happening? Well, the reason it's happening is because this is what happens when teams are in QB purgatory or QB hell. They hype up these other quarterbacks by going after them, uh, even though they're not all that great. Like Cousins and Stafford are fine. They are fine. They are probably top 15, maybe actually, no, probably top 18, top 18 to 12, uh, depending on what day of the week it is. But they're 33 years old. They've never won anything. They have a lot of flaws. And I, I don't get it either. Like they're making cut if the if the 49ers actually go after Kirk Cousins and give up assets to pay him thirty three million dollars a year. I don't know what they're doing, man. I, I have no idea because, yeah, Cousins could look like a top five QB in the NFL on some days. He usually doesn't. And he usually makes a lot of I mean, mistakes. He's also the just same not thing- that big of an upgrade over Jimmy Garoppolo. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's not get into Garoppolo right now. We all know how <laughs> I feel about him. He sucks. He sucks. We'll be here all day. But cousin sucks also at times. So I'm with you. Like you're already paying Garoppolo, and unless you could get rid of the, that contract, then fine. But not even fine because cousins isn't that much of an upgrade. Like you said, I actually agree with you there. Uh, the Stafford thing, I get it. I, I get it. I like him. I like him a lot. But he's never put it all together, and I don't know why we're assuming he will 
um, at 33. I do think he's going to be a very good fit with McVeigh. And in that offense, I think he's going to be a pretty big upgrade on Goff because Goff also sucks. But, yeah, I'm with you. I don't really get it. About Deshaun, I think I'm probably more of a Deshaun Watson fan than, than either of you two are. Uh, I, I think his case is completely different than Stafford and Cousins because he's seven years younger. He's coming off a career year, and he's carried that franchise to double-digit wins up until this season for several seasons. Uh, and he's shown capable of being a top-five quarterback if he could just be a little more consistent. So I would I would give up a lot of assets for Deshaun Watson. But the other two, I don't get it, man. I do not. So— I think there's a point to be made here about the value of a quarterback. I think you cannot win a championship in the NFL other than the extremely rare exception, but you can't win a championship in the NFL without a very good to great quarterback. I think that's just what we've seen over and over and over. Agreed, but these guys aren't but, that. Well, what, Watson. The rest of the point is I don't think that having a quarterback alone guarantees that your floor is higher. So if you're a quarterback away, sure, move heaven and earth to get a guy who's top 12. You know, Watson is, like like you said, maybe Stafford is. Like, the, these are the two I'm talking about. Maybe if you put them in the right situations, they're the guy with the team around them. But if you're like, you know, we were talking before about teams that, that might trade for him just before the podcast, and I, you know, said the Bears – uh, but like j- just just as like an option of somebody who would move heaven and earth to get an actual quarterback in that building, you know, if you put Deshaun Watson on the Bears, I'm not sure that they don't go four and twelve for two straight years before something starts to turn around. And that's why Watson would never go there. So like it's it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy that it's a bad idea to trade for quarterbacks or to trade your quarterbacks, no matter which side you're on, because you're either losing a quarterback, which automatically takes your ceiling, you know, four wins lower, or you're giving up heaven and earth to get a quarterback, in which case you don't have any picks to arm him. And you're going to have to pay him a deal that he has all the leverage in the world for. It's just such a hard thing to do. So the value of a quarterback the perception is super high, but we've seen time and time again that if you trade for a quarterback and if you trade a bunch for a quarterback, you're probably screwing yourself and the team you're trading with. So the value on paper and on Madden is high, but in reality, I don't, I I can think of very few instances where a quarterback trade has worked out for both teams. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Let's just even take it one team. When was the last time a team traded for a quarter, not traded up in the draft to get a quarterback? When was the last team someone traded for an active NFL quarterback and it ended up being a a really good deal? I mean, Tannehill, (laughs) but that one doesn't really count because they gave up a four. So like it wasn't really a blockbuster. I, a, that is a good question. I don't know. That is a really good question. Garoppolo place. did work out for – like him or not, he did work out for the 49ers to get them to where they wanted to go because he. you, you can see the difference. They almost won the Super Bowl stopped. with him. Yeah, like you can see – What? Tannehill. That, well, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I just said that. But, but, but yeah, I think we're talking about oh. like a bigger deal than that. Like, and even, Block, and even Jimmy Garoppolo was a second-round draft pick. Yeah, like, so it's, it's, it's I hard. would almost like, rather give up a two. And again, I think the Rams probably made a good choice. 
But I would probably rather give a two for Garoppolo than multiple firsts and my starting quarterback for Matthew Stafford. I seriously cannot think of one quarterback trade that has actually worked out. Like a big one. Yeah, right? Like that's that's the thing is it's like is, is it is it just because it doesn't happen very often or because they don't work? Yeah, I, I do think the times are changing a little bit and the NFL is getting a little more towards the NBA model of like trading uh trading away picks and stuff, uh to, in order to get some of these quarterbacks, but yeah, no, I don't know. I mean we'll see if it does work out. I, I think I I do think Stafford will work out with the Rams. I don't yeah. know if he's gonna get them to the Super Bowl. But, yeah, no, I don't know. I'm having trouble thinking. I mean, he's certainly an upgrade over Jared Goff. I don't think anyone's debating that. Yeah. Kansas City, when they – I think they traded for Alex Smith, didn't they? Not that it brought him – Yeah, Yeah, they did. But they they did get a a lot better. And then they ended up using him as a bridge in the end. But I just – I cannot remember – and there's probably but, one that's like super obvious that we're missing. Yeah. But I the best one, really... yeah, we're we're missing we're missing the Osweiler trade to the Browns where they where that's they got it. a pick that's, out of it. The, yeah, that's, that's the one. one. That was a cap yeah. load. Goodness gracious. Um, like I, I'm thinking back like to like really old times. Like Drew Brees was a free agent to New Orleans. Um. Peyton Manning was a free agent to Denver. Like, I, I can't think of any. Uh, if you think of one and you're listening, tweet us at No Nonsense Pod with who we're missing. Uh, instead of just sitting here in silence trying to figure this out, let's jump into Stop the Nonsense, the part of the show where we call out nonsense both within and without the sports world. I will hop on it first because you guys already know which one I'm choosing. So, Super Bowl Media Day is just stupid, it is pointless. And they try to turn it into this big spectacle. And I remember, like, as a kid, I thought it was cool. Like, every every year older that I've gotten, the less I've thought it was interesting. And now I'm just jaded, and I'm sitting here saying, why? Like, what's the point? So yesterday, Fox Sports NFL tweets this video of a young fan in this Zoom press conference with Patrick Mahomes, where this young fan who sounds to be you know, about nine or ten years old, thereabouts, maybe, uh, you know, third or fourth grader, asks Mahomes, can I still be a Mahomie uh, even if I'm a Buccaneers fan? To which Patrick Mahomes responded, of course you can. I mean, I think, I think it's cute. I think it's cute that the little kid, you know, asks this question. Here's the problem, though. Why are we using... I mean, this video isn't even popular. Like, it was posted yesterday, and it only has 500 likes. Like, it's not like this is viral content that's being created. Why Why does this event – why are we putting these poor players through this? Like, they already have to go through all these media availabilities during the week to preview the game for, like, actual reporters that are covering this, not just – if you hear my dog in the background, I apologize. Not just, like – goofs who got into the zoom and i remember i read rich eisen's book which is actually really a good book he he talked about how like they give super bowl media day not during the week but media day that night anybody can get a credential to that thing and i just don't know why this event is uh why this exists i think it is a waste of time 
I'm not I'm not mad at the kid. You know, he was given the opportunity to talk to Patrick Mahomes. Seems like a pretty cute kid. My question is, why are we giving children? Why are we putting children in press conferences to waste people's time? I, this just uh, me, the ultimate pragmatist, sees very little value in Super Bowl media day. I mean, the, the only good thing I can ever think of to come out of Super Bowl media day is that great video where that kid had like won a contest. He got to ask Tom Brady a question. He's like, who's your hero? And Tom Brady cried and said, my dad. Like, that was awesome. But Super Bowl media day has happened for like 20 years. <laughs> and that's the one good thing I can think of that's come out of this. Now, I... I have a conspiracy theory on this is I think that the senior bowl is mostly people getting together, like mostly agents getting together to schmooze and kind of talk to other teams and, you know, basically say like, this is what my agent might want without leaving a big paper trail. I think that teams that were in the super bowl, probably Belichick, got so mad that he wasn't involved in senior bowl stuff because he was always busy winning Super Bowls that he was like, look, let's have a media day. Let's do a whole big media thing. And you agents come here where I am and you talk to me about what you're hearing from other teams and we'll negotiate and do that kind of stuff. That seems like the only reason why is as a cover for duplicitous activity from agents, because you are right. There is absolutely no value in somebody saying, so what's the greatest value that you learned your whole life like from a seven-year-old? And then they're like, well, it was really hard work, and I learned it from my coaches and my family. Next question. I mean, it's it's the, like, Mark just so Lynch, inspiring, I'm here really. so I don't be – I'm not fine. Just so like, inspiring. Yeah. Um, okay, I'll, I'll go with mine. Uh, so there was a rumor, and this rumor has gotten some traction lately, and it might actually end up happening, but uh, – Somebody said that the Titans should trade for J.J. Watt. And, you know, at face value, that's that's fine. Like, I, I don't I don't argue that. Like, I think that there's some value to trade for J.J. Watt. But they said that the Titans should trade a first and a third round pick and hope that that does it. And understand that if you trade a first and a third round pick for J.J. Watt, he carries a $17 million cap. He would be one of the highest-paid players on the Titans roster, one or two, either immediately. Like I think he would be two behind Tannehill immediately. So, first of all, that's insane. But second of all, I don't, I don't mind the th- – I, I, in fact, I encourage people to suggest trades. But what I don't understand and what I don't like – is people that make these trades who have no idea what the values of players would be. Like, if you're going to tell me the Titans should trade for somebody, cool. But you better have done your research on why they should pay him or how that should be structured. Otherwise, it just makes – I'm trying to keep my language clean. For whatever reason, it gets under my skin and it makes me so mad because it just – it shows a lack of forethought, and it's just you connecting names and not looking any further than that. So as maybe the primary you know, conspiracy theorist and dream trade maker on the podcast, I just – all I ask is that if you make cool trades with big names, at least make them for reasonable prices and look at what the value of an actual player like that is worth on the open market. Yeah, agreed. Although, let's bring J.J. Watt to Tennessee. Let's get that defense better, baby. 
All right, I'll go next. Actually, actually, yeah, I have to go next on the last one. So uh, this uh, this golf trade, which we talked a little bit about before, uh, we didn't talk about some of the coverage in, in in regards to it. And someone who covered it, who is clearly a friend of Jared Goff's, is Mike Silver, who is God. not we we. <laughs> Sorry, that Luke's uh, Luke's. Uh, it's as close as Luke gets to cussing. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right? under his breath. Yeah. So Mike Silver has done this before. He clearly prioritizes and puts certain players or coaches in good favor and speaks highly of them if they give him access. One person he did that with was actually Jeff Fisher, who used to be a Titans head coach. Uh, he never said a bad word about him and always defended him whenever anyone talked bad about him. The same thing happened with Hugh Jackson, who was literally one of the worst coaches in NFL history, possibly the worst head coach in NFL history. Uh, he, Everyone bashed Hugh Jackson. Mike Silver always came to his defense, wrote puff pieces that always spoke highly of him. And it was the weirdest thing ever, but we all kind of understood what he was doing. And now this is happening with Jared Goff. So he writes an article kind of detailing uh, the downfall of the Sean McVay and Jared Goff uh, relationship. And, man, there there are some quotes. So I, I, I'm just going to start with this. He, uh, I, I'm just going to quote some of it. He says, let's table that debate for a moment and accept the fact that McVay, whatever his reasons, decided Goff was no longer the guy he wants running his offense – I can give you the reasons. He was bad. He, he was just bad at quarterbacking. Uh, and then he says, routinely trash the season on Fox telecast, specifically those with Troy Aikman as the lead analyst. Goff could reasonably assume that McVay's words about his quarterback's play in network production meetings were far from glowing. Or or he sucked in those games and Troy, Troy Aikman was just calling it how it is, but whatever. I'm not going to get into that. Then he says, and yet, Goff had some impressive performances in 2020. Parentheses, Eagles, Bills, Bucks, Cardinals, and helped push the Rams into postseason contention. <sighs> okay, so in 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 two of those games that, that he mentioned, the Bills game, Jared Goff threw two touchdowns and one interception, and then the Bucks game, he threw three touchdowns and two interceptions. Okay, so he really wasn't that great. Uh, and the fact that, he, like, he barely got him into postseason contention. They lost to the Jets, and they almost got bounced out of playoff contention because Goff was awful towards the latter half of the season. Uh, granted, he was dealing with a thumb injury, but still, I just, this was such a weird article, and he just consistently, you know, stuck up for Goff, even though it was very clear that McVay just saw what everyone else saw. That yeah. golf was deteriorating, and he just wasn't good anymore, especially given the contract that he has. So what was interesting to me about that article was if it had just been the quotes from from Jared Goff, there were some great quotes in there. It was great journalism. And I have no problem with editorializing. I do it. It's my job. I get asked to write columns and, and analytical opinions, and it's Michael Silver's job too. I'm not I'm not, you know, saying that you can't give opinions. It's sports after all. But my problem, why are we defending bad players and bad coaches? And that's my problem with Michael Silver is, well, I'm not going to say that he's, you know, nepotistic and all buddy-buddy, but like like you said, Matias, there is a weird pattern of defending people who aren't good at their jobs with him. And, and he also, like, 
add to that the fact that if you follow him on Twitter, he's constantly trying to push, you know, a political agenda and his political beliefs. You know, it just leaves a sour taste in your mouth. And I thought uh, 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 Troy Aikman had a great response when he said, uh, what was it Troy Aikman said? I'm looking back in our uh, our messages to try to find that. Here it is. Unlike Michael Silver, I strive to be fair and balanced and do not have an agenda when doing my job. Like, from the top rope, the Hall of Famer Troy Aikman. I love that. Yeah, and he's right. He's right. Like, I understand. Uh, we've talked about this before. Like, I've talked about this with uh, Rappaport, sometimes Schefter, where they're kind of just like, mouthpieces for agents and kind of just spew out what they're told to spew out when they report news on certain players. But this is taking it to a whole other level where you're actively sticking up for someone just because you like them and you're not doing objective journalism, which is what your job is supposed to be, especially when you're attached to a big media organization. Well, and I really don't even have my, like, I don't mind if, Let's say if I was covering the Titans and I like Taylor Lewan, like I, I don't mind reading, or I wouldn't mind if somebody read my content and they knew that that was one of my guys and I was pulling for him. Like I think that the cold sort of writing style that that a lot of people try to write with or have written with in the past, I think that's dead. I think people want more personalized content and they want they want more emotion and they want more thoughtfulness behind it like they don't want it to be so cold and surgical and you know just numbers and names on a page like they want people who like the person who don't like the person and the only thing i ask when i'm reading something like that is just be up front with it like i mean declare yourself one way it's almost like if you're reporting on stocks like there's a legal obligation to where if you have we'll talk about gamestop since everybody talks about it now if you have a million shares of GameStop, you can't go on television and say GameStop is the best stock of all time. And I hear that they've got this mega project and everybody should get in now because then you could dump your stocks. And that, I mean, that's just illegal. So by the same token, if you're best friends with Hugh Jackson, you shouldn't be able to say Hugh Jackson's a great coach, even though everything you see him do is terrible and it fails. Like, yeah, you, you shouldn't you shouldn't be able to do that. Like you should have to disclose like, look, like I'm saying this because I'm a friend of Hugh Jackson's and I like Hugh Jackson and I want him to succeed like that. That's where you should have to come from to, to make an analogy to our primary topic from this podcast episode. What 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 Silver's history is, is not even, you know, to take it to Shane Bowen. It's not even if I or we were to say just give him a chance. We'll see what happens. He needs a fair, you know, hindsight could prove us wrong. That, which, you know, we declared was a stupid argument. He's not even that. What what Michael Silver's doing is looking at Shane Bowen and be like, man, he didn't get a fair shake last year. Here's all, this list of excuses. Shane Bowen's actually a really good coach. He just never got a chance. Like, that's the kind of stuff we're getting here, which is what makes me kind of cringe and go, all right. Right. He's a liar. <laughs> well, I, I'm not going to say that, but Will certainly did say that, and uh, I agree with Will sometimes. <laughs> so uh, that's going to do it for us. Uh, until next time. By the way, guys, did you all watch the Senior Bowl start to finish? Every snap? Yes. Yes, actually. Yeah, of oh, course gosh. I did. Of course you did. I didn't know that happened. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all make me so <laughs> 
I love this. <laughs> Matthias and, and I have joked all week about the Senior Bowl tweets where it's like pumping up players because like they had like a good practice rep or something. I, I, it's nonsense. It's it's so annoying. Like, I don't know, whatever. And, and, and Black I, people like, do what they want. I'm not going to be that kind of person, but these players aren't ever going to do anything. Let's be honest. Disagree. The, the only player <laughs> that I have ever gotten a real read on from watching the practice was Marcus Mariota because uh, it was 2018, the, uh, the LaFleur year, and I remember watching him in practice. I was like, this guy sucks. Like, I don't it's know just why. Like a shot at me. <laughs> but... <laughs> like, typically, it doesn't work the other way where you can be like, man, this guy's a stud because, I don't know, he just ran the ladder drill very well or ran that out route against no defense. Outstanding. Also, did, I did see a lot of clips where Todd McShay was just – glowing praise for <laughs> Mac Jones the entire yeah. time. And people were like, this is uncomfortable. What is going on here? Can you like calm down, please? Well, since, since we're in full slander mode at the end of the podcast, uh, Mel Kuyper notoriously, uh, I think that there's a book called the illegal procedure that talks about it. Uh, I've got that on my bookshelf over here. I've, just, I've never yeah. read it, but I bought it when you recommended it for me it's, one time. <laughs> that's, I've done my job. The rest is up to you. <laughs> uh, there's parts in it that talk about how back in the day, at least, uh, let's say they were less than transparent about which players were good or not based on how much money they got from that agent. So I'm not saying that's happening now, but I would say if you want access to a player, if you want to be, you know, if you're one of those guys on TV like they are all the time and you have Sean Wade in your first round and it's like mid-January, like you're probably talking more to agents than you are actually watching film. So when you see the guys practice, you're going to you're going to pump up the guys that, you know, you're supposed to. And then yeah. you're going to ignore the ones you're not supposed to. So. All right, y'all take it easy. We will be back next time. Until then, for Will and Matias, I'm Luke reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.